and then you'll leave and then I won't have support. And then and the kids then, will be homeless. And yes, so it's and the like, kids will be homeless. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, it spirals out pretty quickly. I'm like, we had an ar- argument about breakfast. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good. The bad. And the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God. And everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram. And today, we continue our journey through the head triad. We just wrapped up number five. We are now on to type number six. Type number six, commonly known as the loyalist. What uh, what are some other terms there for us, Sam? Yeah, the guardian, the true believer, the doubter, the troubleshooter, and the traditionalist. I just like to call them the Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts of America because right. these folks are just like super dependable and they anticipate danger and they're like ready for it. You know, when I think of a healthy six, uh, a friend of mine comes to mind who is uh, a pastor over a church and he oftentimes has this great gift of being able to anticipate some of the most realistic possible dangers and difficulties that that will come as a result of tough decisions that they have to make as leaders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the leadership of the church will make some decisions and he will anticipate three, four, five potential outcomes that are the most likely to occur. And then he begins to put into place different contingency plans, plans to bring some of the membership along instead of trying to force them along, uh, contingency plans that have to do with safety or making sure that all the legalities have been covered, but he has this great gift of being able to see ahead to what some of the difficulties they're going to encounter are. But then here's the other side is that when they do inevitably encounter very hard things, Mm -hmm. so whether they uh, go through a season where the church is just going through tough times and folks suddenly start freaking out in the congregation and they want to start bailing ship, uh, he doesn't because he's already anticipated those hardships and he already has a sense of how to get through them. He already has contingency plans to help get the congregation through those difficult times. And when I think of a healthy six, that's what I think of, the ability to plan ahead, to think ahead, to be loyal and faithful through those hard times and have a realistic grasp of realistic possible dangers, the most you know likely things that could happen. Um, so let's talk about the resourceful traits of the six. Uh, these folks, as I've said, they are reliable people. You know, you can give a six something like they're going to take care of it. If they say yes, they mean yes. If they say no, they mean no. But these folks, they're, they are just reliable people. They're deeply committed to security. So when they come into a situation, they want to make sure that everybody in that situation is cared for and protected. You know, they want to make sure that if doors need to be locked, that those doors are locked. That if, you know, there's vulnerabilities in an organization that could lead to, uh, you know, lawsuits and liabilities, they want to anticipate those things and ensure that the organizations or the people that they love are going to be provided for and cared for. And then, you know, even things like they tend to be 
low risk in terms of even the jobs that they take. They tend to gravitate towards jobs that they ensure that will ensure that their families are going to be taken care of and that the people that are most important to them are going to be provided for. These folks are responsible. They're honorable people. They don't tend to be very deceptive people. They tend to be pretty honest folks. Uh, they're very they're very steady. Uh, they are prepared and they are very dependable. So those are the resourceful traits of the six. Sam, tell me a little bit about the non-resourceful traits of the six. Yeah. So whenever they're feeling stressed or anxious, they can become more worrisome and they start not only making plans for the worst, but assuming the worst is going to happen. So they anticipate and they live with a really exaggerated sense of fear. So they begin to doubt everything around them. They become uncertain, uptight, wary, skeptical. I think a non-resourceful example that's really clear for me is uh, Marlon from Finding Nemo, uh, oh, yeah. Nemo's dad. Like, he's just so prepared all the time. And don't go there because you might get hurt. And yeah. you think you can do these things, but you just can't. You know, so they start to to just assume that everybody around them is reckless when really they just have a heightened sense of paranoia. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, non-resourceful sixes, you know, sadly they begin to believe that, you know, if I love the people around me, I'll make sure that they're scared of all the right things. Mm -hmm. um, and so I see folks with a lot of non-resourceful six and they'll just go like, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't. Did you did you think about this? Did you think about this? Yeah, yeah. And they just sort of they put that out there and they believe, you know, non-resourceful sixes motivations. They believe, well, I'm just loving them. I'm making sure that they're safe and protected. But it ends up, you know, making everybody around them kind of paranoid and freaking out because it just seems like the boogeyman's around every potential corner. Yeah, I feel like all of everybody's non-resourceful six comes out if they're like babysitting kids at a playground. Like, no, don't run up too far away. You'll get hurt or don't jump off of that or the monkey bars. You'll break your arm. You know, like I just remember hearing all of those things from the teachers around and the parents that were nearby. It was just like, yeah, that that fear stuff just comes out. Yeah, it's so funny if you're around like two different kind of personality types, you know, and they're like watching kids on a playground, you know, six will be like, oh, don't do that. Like, you know, a non-resourceful six mm -hmm. will be like, oh, don't do that. Like you might get hurt. You know, and then there's other personality types that are like, well, I mean, they break their arm. That's how they learn. It's just like such a different Man. mantra compared yeah. to They're like, you know, oh, they break. Yeah, like they'll bleed. We'll put a bandaid on it. We'll keep going. But yeah. I feel like a six is like, are you kidding me? Even though right. they have like an entire first aid kit in their car. Yeah, you know? yeah totally. <laughs> like they're the ones that are the <laughs> totally. most prepared for danger, but they're also the ones that are so scared that it's about to happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're the most prepared for the situation, but they they want it the least. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. So yeah, they go from, you know, this idea of like paranoia and doubt that also becomes internalized as well. So they doubt themselves. They doubt their ability that to be prepared and they doubt their competency. And, oh, I'm actually, I have thought this through. I do have contingency plans. And so they become wary and suspicious, not only of the external world, but their internal world as well. Yeah, they are people of extremes, you know. So they do come across at times as being very wary and suspecting and doubtful of others. But hardcore, the person that they doubt the most is actually themselves. You know, a lot of sixes have a very, very deep skepticism of their own ability to see things wisely, to see things with good perspective. And so they tend to be very, very hard on themselves and suspecting of their own ability to see the truth and make good judgment calls. So let's talk a little bit about the wake-up call for the six. Every personality type on the Enneagram has a moment at which they're beginning to make decisions from an unhealthy place, from a place where they are beginning to trust in the wrong things. Well, the wake-up call for the six is becoming dependent on something outside the self for guidance. Now, of course, we're not talking about God. We're not talking about Jesus. We're talking about 
placing your faith and your trust in somebody else or something else. It could be plans. It could be a person that, you know, comes across as really confident. It could be looking to other people constantly for reinforcement and support instead of the ability to trust that the Holy Spirit is inside of you, giving you convictions and is going to lead you forward. And sometimes that means you might trust yourself incorrectly and you might make mistakes, but it's the ability to know that God is going to be there to catch you and walk you through it. So again, the wake up call for the six is becoming dependent on something outside of yourself for guidance. Uh, So folks in the head triad, uh, their deep struggle in life is the issue of fear. And when that fear becomes exaggerated, eventually what happens is that, you know, and this is funny saying this for sixes, uh, is that their deadly sin, the six, is actually fear. Yeah, more fear. And the reason that I say that that's kind of funny is this. Those that have a lot of non-resourceful six oftentimes come from families that have a lot of non-resourceful six. Yeah, it makes sense because if I grow up hearing that the world's not safe, of course I'm going to pass that on to my in my adult life and then on to my kids. You know, it's like, how will we know if the world's safe and trustworthy if we've never been exposed to it? Or if we come from backgrounds that actually, yeah, the world's not that safe. Like, so you just have to be skeptical. You always have to have your guard up and you have to not trust the people around you. Yeah. And the way that sixes nurture this fear is through doubt. And of course, they doubt themselves first. But then, you know, that doubt leads to doubting others, doubting facts, doubting the news, doubting God, doubting the motivations of the people around them. Uh, Eventually, it leads to paranoid thoughts and what I like to call catastrophic thinking. Hmm. Uh, It's the ability to go, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? And they just, you know, they just take it to the nth degree and they kind of can't turn it off. Because uh, if you say, well, that's unlikely to happen, you know, and they'll go. Not to them. But it's possible. But it could happen. Yeah. And then and then they nurture it as well just through suspicion, suspicion of others. What's the what's the hidden motive here? What's the real agenda that's going on? Uh, And so they can carry with themselves uh, just a sense that there's always something a little insidious under the surface. And the non-resourceful six, that fear is just is just egging them on uh, to believe that there's always something else at play. So, Sam, tell me a little bit about how the loyalist psychologically defends themselves. Yeah, so it's through a process called projection. So it's that internal doubt that they're reckoning with. Like, I can't trust what's going on here. And so therefore, I'm going to externalize that. So not only am I not prepared, but now you're not you're not thinking clearly. You don't understand what's actually going on here, because if you actually knew all the dangers that were in the big ocean, Nemo, then you wouldn't be out there at sea. You would be here safe where I can keep you and I can protect you because, you know, I have to have it all together. So it's it's this idea that they they doubt their internal world and then they project that Yeah. And so, you know, projection can be a little bit of a tricky idea. But in short, what it means is this, is that a six experiences something in life and they then begin to experience their own fears, insecurities, sinful motives, reluctancies. And instead of owning the fact that that's their stuff Mm -hmm. that they're working through and those issues are their own the six's temptation is to throw that on everybody else and essentially to universalize their experience as everyone else's experience. In other words, if I feel afraid, uh, either I can come to terms with the fact that I feel afraid Mm -hmm. and that's I just feel afraid and that's the end of it, or I can go, I feel afraid and you must secretly feel afraid too. And if you don't admit to the fact that you feel afraid, I need to provoke you to the point that finally you'll admit that you're afraid. Or... 
I feel afraid and therefore you should feel afraid Mm -hmm. and therefore I need to provoke you to the point that you finally will feel afraid. And so uh, non-resourceful six can really struggle with they they tend to universalize their experience as everyone else's experience. So what's fascinating about these folks is they actually have this incredible gift of being able to see things from a lot of different perspectives. But then suddenly this projection stuff comes in and they feel like they can't trust themselves because they have bad motives, they have bad feelings, bad thoughts, but instead they blame it on other people. I can't trust you, other person, because you have have, bad motives and feelings and thoughts. Yeah, you are just as susceptible to danger as I am, so therefore I can't trust myself and I can't trust you. We can't trust anybody. It's just this whole like vicious cycle of of catastrophic thinking, which is what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and of course what happens when we know that we can't trust somebody else, well then I don't have to be close to that person, Mm -hmm. and therefore now Mm -hmm. I feel safe again. Yeah. Because if I have to be close to you, there's a lot of dangers that come with that. So as long as I can keep you as somebody who's got some things I should be fearful of, well, now I can keep a little bit of emotional distance from you. So projection, you know, it's a tough one. It's a tough one that, that really that really can harm some folks. So every personality type has an idol that they're tempted to worship. And the idol for the six is the idol of safety. And safety requires the six to sacrifice feeling carefree and relaxed because, you know, example, you know, we just did that whole playground thing. Pretty hard for somebody with, you know, an overabundance of desire for safety to relax when their kids are playing on the playground. Uh, The idol of safety requires them to sacrifice trusting God as well as trusting other people. Because what if God doesn't show up the way that I want God to show up? What if other people don't show up the way that I think they should show up? Hmm. Um, And God's unpredictable. And so I would rather trust, you know, a feeling of safety rather than trust this unpredictable God that may do whatever he wants. And then finally, they have to sacrifice their own ideas and their own beliefs, their own ideas and their own beliefs. Um, It is very, very hard for folks with a lot of non-resourceful six to trust their own ideas and beliefs, their own convictions. They oftentimes are very tempted to look to anyone or anything that promises them safety. So they will often look to another person in the room or they'll look to some kind of political leader or a spiritual leader or somebody in their circle of friends or in their company, somebody that feels super confident and they are tempted to give a certain level of worship to those people because they feel like they'll be safe as long as they trust them. Now, the catch is, as soon as those folks break their confidence, the six will take all of that loyalty back from those people. Yeah. Uh, but they'll give it to you if you earn it. So the six gets into a real kind of funky dance that they do. with. Yeah, because uh, if they're already skeptical of the world around them, they also have the tendency to go, like you're saying, and like put all of their trust in the world around them, which is so it's so interesting how, how their minds can just believe both at the same time if that's a, if that's possible. Okay, so God knows that the sixes are struggling with this deadly sin of exaggerated fear and then he responds to that uh, with the good news, the gospel of his presence. And out of that, what is the virtue, Sam, that he invites the six into? Yeah, so he offers the six his steadfast love and his presence and then allows them to to live more courageously. It goes from a posture of fear and skepticism into a place of rootedness, of safety, security that actually draws them out and actually allows them to trust the world and to trust that even if the outcome goes badly, that they they have a place and they have safety in 
the Lord. Yeah, because they get to a place where they realize, you know what, I can't plan for everything in life. Yeah. And there's a lot of stuff that is unpredictable, but I know that God is steadfast mm -hmm. and I know that he is reliable and I know that he ultimately will provide my soul the safety that it needs for all eternity. And that means that if I can trust him with that big thing, I can trust him with all this other stuff. You know, of all the Enneagram personality types, Sam and I say that this one you guys are the most courageous of everyone. Because the truth is this. Many of us, we aren't courageous. We ain't thinking about it. Yeah, it's reckless. Yeah, we're yeah, reckless. It's we're not just, bravery. Yeah, we're lucky to be alive because we do dumb things. You know, we text when we drive. Like sixes, you guys aren't doing that kind of stuff. Right, You're going to yeah. live longer. <laughs> but the truth is that you guys uh, have the gift of courage, the ability to look at something, to see all the potential dangers, for it to begin to provoke you to be afraid and instead of choosing inaction or withdrawal or retreat or to place your, your hope and your confidence in people or things, instead you place it in God and that moves you forward to a place of, of being courageous. So when we come back, we'll be talking with my absolute hands down favorite six, my wife, Lindsay Eubanks. Stay with us. Do issues of poverty and injustice make you feel heartbroken, overwhelmed, or confused? Are you like many young adults who see all of these needs happening around the world, but you just don't know where to start? Well, we can help with that. Love Thy Neighborhood is an urban missions agency for young adults impacting social justice issues, both physically and spiritually. We've helped hundreds of young adults just like you do justice and build better Christian community. We partner with over a dozen nonprofits throughout the city that are on the front lines of causes like crisis pregnancy, homelessness, orphan care, refugees, and more. Or perhaps you want to contribute in a way that's a little bit more behind the scenes. We also have internship tracks in the areas of nonprofit leadership, as well as media and design and visual arts. So if you're between the ages of 18 and 30, head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org. Take a look at all of the different causes where you can make an impact. Choose the ones that you're most passionate about, and we will pair you up with an organization where you will make a real difference in real lives. We offer opportunities for a summer or a year. So again, head over to our website, lovethyneighborhood.org, and apply now. Hey, welcome back. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Lindsay Eubanks. Lindsay is an occupational therapist working in the public school system. She was previously a life skills coach for women leaving the adult entertainment industry. She's also a certified instructor of the Enneagram. She teaches Enneagram workshops alongside her less talented husband. Uh, she is also a mother to the two greatest children ever. So uh, she's pretty much the best guest we're going to have. It's down here. Downhill, downhill from here. From here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for being here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Uh, okay, so you, you just heard the overview of your type. I saw like so much body language. So yeah, you like, were taking notes just to write down things that we were saying. And... I know, and she's she's an instructor. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, so what what resonated? Gosh, it's hard to pick just one thing. Um, all of it. I mean, even talking about the anxiety made me a little anxious because <laughs> it's just reminding me of all the possible things that could be going wrong. Yeah. We are great in emergencies because we've already thought about it. Mm -hmm. We usually have the Band-Aid. We usually have the... I mean, literally in my car right now, I have a picnic blanket just in case we're ever somewhere and we need to sit on the ground. 
Yeah, I have an outside blanket that I keep in my car too. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about how um, you see your gifts playing into your work as, uh, as an occupational therapist, especially in the public school system. Can you elaborate on the different ways that you can creatively strategize how to help kids and just kind of elaborate on some of that? Well, this career literally lets me pick apart problems. Mm-hmm. I get to go and troubleshoot all yeah. day long yeah. um, and come up with creative solutions with the resources that we have. So I feel fulfilled because I'm, you know, looking for problems and weaknesses and how we can fix it. But that can also carry over into the rest of my life. When you do something all day long, you tend to continue to do that. that You don't need to do that anymore. Right. The troubleshooting mindset, I feel like it's hard to have it as an off switch. And it looks like criticism Mm. to others sometimes Mm -hmm. when really I'm just like, I can't not see the holes. I can't not see The potential pitfalls. But it's the potential to make it better, therefore safer. Yeah, because, you know, obviously, like, uh, looking at potential safety issues, potential dangers, it slows everything down, you know? And so that's always the, the, the struggle is that if you get around folks that are like, hey, let's run full force as fast as we can towards this thing, and the six is going... Hold on, everybody. Like, we need to think about this for a second. There can be a tension between those two things. It's simultaneously, though, is that the six also could be inspired by the surety of that person. And so initially they're like, this is great. This person's super confident and that makes me feel better until they realize the person's walk running straight towards a cliff and taking everybody with them. And then right. they're going, this person's an idiot, you know? Yeah. And so six have to, they interact, in, they're in a world in which there are authorities that are over them. But at the same time, those authorities, just like they are, they're flawed people that don't always make the right plans. So how does a six cultivate the ability to trust themselves uh, instead of looking to the authorities in their life for assurance and security? For me, it's trusting God. And so when there are multiple voices, which there are often in a six's head, I have to remember consciously, okay, what does God say about this? And that usually helps me make the decision. That's the ultimate authority. That's the ultimate authority. I I mean, I loved to be the teacher's pet as a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted that authority to like me because I would be safe. If I'm on the authority side, I'm safe. But at the same time, I love to buck authority. Yeah. And I'm I'm not quite sure why. <laughs> but so it's easy to just go back and forth unless I have that authority of God. So Rizzo and Hudson refer to sixes as a bundle of opposites. So here's what they say. They say, until they can get in touch with their own inner guidance, sixes are like a ping pong ball that's constantly shuttling back and forth between whatever influence is hitting the hardest in any given moment. What do you what do you think about that description? Uh, do you do you experience life in this way? I think in my non resourcefulness, yes, I can be bounced around by every idea, especially um, in the world of endless information on the internet. I can get lost in what this person thinks about this, and what does this person think, and which is like I have trouble forming my own ideas about things. So yes, I can get ping ponged and lost. Yeah. If I don't just stop the train. Yeah. Because sixes have that propensity to assimilate data. Like, you know, you're a reader. You are, you love data. You love information. You want to make sure you have all the facts. Uh, uh, the flip side of that, of, of, of that, of course, is that there's no end to data. Data has no end. And so the trick is at what point, you know, do I have enough information to go ahead and make the commitment and make a decision and move forward? 
And does the line feel like uh, the threshold at which you are willing to make that decision, does it feel like it's ever moving? Or do you feel like you have a sense of, you know what, I know enough now, I'm going to make a decision? It depends on the topic. But I think I'm getting better at that. Yeah, I think I'm getting better at just not even going into the the head of it all and the ruminations and the possibilities and the hedging of the bets and shutting it down. Because I've learned from other people and just doing internal work that it it will never end, like you said. It just Yeah. I'm never going to have the perfect confident answer all the time. Yeah. And sometimes I can go the opposite of just impulsively making a decision because I don't want to fool with all the mental energy that my normal decision making entails. Yeah. Or I want to overcome or kind of take that fear head on. So I just do something impulsive. Yeah. I'm just as likely to take time on a decision or make a rash one. Yeah. A creature of opposites, (laughs) right? So, okay. So, so let's talk about this then, you know, so I always say that there's, there's Lindsay and there's vacation Lindsay. (laughs) Oh yeah. So like regular Lindsay and like our like day-to-day life and our marriage and, you know, parenting you know, like you're, you're very thoughtful, you're very deliberate. Uh, there sort of can even be like a methodical nature, you know, to things. Um, it can be a little challenging at times for you to kind of relax because you do keep track of so many moving parts in our life. And then the moment that vacation starts, this other person shows up that I refer to as vacation, Lindsay, that's like the life of the party, super relaxed, go with the flow, love spontaneous adventures. Talk to me about that. What is What happens in those moments? It's almost like pressure relief. It's, I'm so organized and so responsible most of the time. And then when I get on vacation and someone else like you are there to kind of either co-parent or make decisions, I almost default to whatever you want because I'm tired. I'm, in, I'm tired in my mind. <laughs> Yeah. And so I don't have the energy to think and have contingency plans. And so I am a lot more sun because I do have a seven wing too. So that helps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure with just the structure and the, the concept of vacation, there's less, less appointments to get to and less meetings to schedule and less extracurricular activities to make sure the kids are on time for like you have your agenda is a lot smaller and therefore your responsibilities are a lot smaller and you have a team you know there's no pressure you don't have to worry about you know jesse has a meeting or jesse has a lunch meeting or you know anything like that so you can kind of breathe and say like okay the only thing on our list is to have fun and i can do that and even you know even if something were to go wrong there's still less things to worry about in the grand scheme because we're here to relax does that feel true yes yeah the expectation is have fun, relax. Yeah. That's and so what you're you like, do. okay, I can do That's that. That's the rule yeah. of vacation. I'm going to follow the rule of vacation, which is to relax. That's so funny that it's even like <laughs> the rule of vacation is, you know, there's no rules. So that's the rule. That's what I'm going to live into that. Yeah, yeah totally. This. So. Okay. So, uh, so the, the, the deadly sin for this type is fear and the virtue for transformation is courage. So how have you learned to recognize this fear and then choose to live more toward a place of courage. I've really begun lately to get more in touch with my actual body. So noticing the tension in my neck or shortness of breath, um, I have that more often. So that gives me a clue Mm -hmm. to pay attention to my mind. Um, It helps me kind of a litmus test to see if I'm being a catastrophic thinker, to watch the other people around me. 
and kind of see like 90% of the other people around me are not panicking at this moment. So mm-hmm. it's likely that I don't need to be either. Instead of before, before I would have thought all these people are, like you said, idiots and they're not, yeah, they're not I mean, scared like they should be. That's even giving you more I don't reason trust to be these afraid. People. Yeah, and yeah, for sure. So I think just, and kind of also stepping into the things I'm afraid of. Um, I always use the term, well, I've been to Africa twice whenever um, I either doubt myself or I'm feeling afraid or if other people say something about my anxiety mm-hmm. level, I'm like, well, but I've been to Africa twice, you know, yeah, if I, I can fight do my that, fears. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Just because in my family and in my, um, my world, most of the time, like going to another state is a big deal, much less, you know, across the world. Right. Um, so I just, I'm proud of that. Yeah. 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 Cause fear oftentimes tries to keep the world small because small is controllable. Big is uncontrollable. And so something, you know, something like traveling to another country is, you know, uh, you know it's a, it's a big deal for folks that have a lot of that six in them. Cause they're like, Hey, I'm going on this huge adventure, this new city, this new country, this new culture. And, uh, and for them, that's an act of, you know, great courage to do those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Especially because of the relational stakes, because sixes typically come from families with high six. You know, that's not only my own fear that I've grown up thinking, but the, the opinions and the ideas of the people I'm would be leaving behind, you know, quote unquote, like to go do that adventure. It's, it's to step in and say like, I, I'm going to try it and see, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to live a courageous life and, and get outside of my comfort zone, step outside of the box. Yeah. Cause they got to push through all the skepticism of the, the, the community that they're from, mm-hmm. because as soon as they announce, Hey, I'm going to do X, you know, the whole community is going, hold on. Yeah. Have you thought about this? And they have to stand on their own conviction to go do that thing anyway. And it helps that a lot of the things I've gone to do, um, I feel like God has called me to do those particular things like, you know, living in a underprivileged neighborhood or, Working with um, people coming out of the adult entertainment industry. Um, those aren't typically things that people who are really scared tend to do. But, but, I would, but when a six has their own conviction. Right. From God, the ultimate authority. Um, it always comes back to that. Like he's good. He's not always safe, but he's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that little verse not verse. It's not a verse. It's C.S. Quote. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> that little blurb in his book is very um, one of those little nuggets that it really resonates. Comes back. To, yeah, yeah. Like, for okay, sure. he's always good. That's mm-hmm. never going to change. I love that too because it denotes the idea that there's something better than safety. Yes, goodness yes. is better than safety. Because I sacrifice many things on the idol of safety and anxiety management. That I have to fight against my decisions going toward that. And I get angry when people don't manage my anxiety as well, if they're not on board with making decisions that keep my anxiety low. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the the relational consequences for the sixes not taking ownership of their fears? What are the stakes for living in that anxious mindset and anxiety management being the thing that you lean on the most? Well, I think it one, it blocks like my true self. Mm-hmm. So people don't get to know me as well, or I can be very distrusting and I basically have a self, I will have a self-fulfilling prophecy of, I don't want to be unsafe. I don't want to be left alone. I need support from others. So I'm going to not trust them and be suspicious and wonder why I don't have anybody around. You know, one of the, one of the seasons that we went through um, was me kind of trying to figure out what does it mean to, to love Lindsay and accept 
that this is part of who she is and she accepts the parts of me that are a royal, you know, pain in the butt to her and very difficult. Um, so what does it look like to journey with her within this, this struggle and these limitations? And, um, but at the same time, getting to a place where I was like, I can't make my entire life about worrying about her anxiety hmm. because there's, there can become almost a codependent nature for those that are close to people that have a lot of anxiety where everything becomes about don't make that person anxious. And that's, that's not how it works. Like sometimes you actually need to be exposed to you, you like need to do exposure therapy. Like you need to be exposed to the thing that's making you anxious so that you'll become less anxious of it instead of letting it become this monolithic, huge thing in your mind. And so, um, so we went through a season where we really kind of had to battle through that. And, um, and in the end, you know, it's so funny because after all the conversation in the end, there was this thing at the end that you go like, Oh, I guess what I need to do is be gracious. I think, you know, that seems scriptural and, uh, and to be gracious and then to, um, and then to allow Lindsay to have this runway, you know, this runway of like letting her work through it, knowing she needs, she needs all the information and asking her to, to quickly make decisions that I'm comfortable with, but she, uh, just needs more data. And that is fully acceptable for her to want more information. It's also acceptable for me to at some point go, hey, I think that you have enough and now you need to have a conviction and make a decision and trust yourself. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's just a a balance, but I think a posture of kindness and grace goes a long way. Because the other thing is, person with anxiety, if I get really, really angry with her, I was getting ready to say that. I I sabotage the whole (laughs) thing and now she's like, now I'm going to do whatever he wants because I'm terrified he's going to become angry with me. And then you'll leave and then I won't have support. And, and then the kids then, will be homeless. And yes, so it's and the like, kids will be homeless. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, it spirals out pretty quickly. I'm like, I'm like, we had a ar- argument about breakfast. I'm not leaving you. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. uh, but for, for the six that their mind goes there very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, just assume we have a low level anxiety most of the time mm-hmm. and that we can't help it. Yeah. And we're not trying to drive you crazy. We're already, I mean, we're hard on ourselves. We're driving ourselves crazy. Um, we're exhausted mentally, yeah. so we can only imagine that you are too. Um, just extra grace is always important like, with yeah. everyone, but um, celebrating when I'm brave. Yeah, too, totally. Rather than getting angry mm-hmm. when I'm scared, mm-hmm. reminding me. Mm-hmm. Remember this time that you went to Africa twice mm-hmm. or remember that time. Yeah. And I think it's important to not only have someone speak into my life and encourage me, but over time to where I can learn to do that myself, mm-hmm. not always relying on outside affirmation. But I do think it starts there. Yeah. Sometimes you need other people to remind you of the truth until you can tell yourself the truth. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, scripture tells you the truth. So I think um, that's just a pathway for growth as I know I'm getting healthier when I can tell myself. Well, when we come back, we'll be playing Not My Type. I mean, she is my type. Yeah, yeah. Is that going to go? We're going to, I'm going to test you guys to see. But I'm not her Enneagram type. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back. Unfortunate title. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) On today's episode of the Enneacast, we're exploring type six, the loyalist. And the virtue for transformation for the six is courage. My wife, Lindsay, stepped into her courage when she and I moved into a neighborhood in Louisville that some called the dicey part of town a move which ended up having some unexpected effects. 
Hear the whole story on our other show, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Make sure to check out episode number 10, where the gospel meets gentrification. I think they changed too much too fast. Whose responsibility is it to help a community thrive? Right now, I'm the only one on my street coming home with Trader Joe's bags. Certain people in this country can take what they want at any time. Oh, we might be coming in partnership with this problem. Subscribe now wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Just search Love Thy Neighborhood or head over to our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. All right, welcome back to the Cast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And we are now going to play Not My Type. Jesse, today's game, as you know, is not my type. So before the show, I asked Lindsay some questions and then I wrote in fake answers. So your job in this game is to determine which one Lindsay said based on her personality type. You get a point for everyone you guess correctly. If she stumps you, she gets a point. You guys ready? Ready. I'm ready. I've really not done well on any of the other games that we've been playing on this show. I, I kind of feel like the I'm doing stakes it pretty are good much on this higher. one. Yeah. And I feel like I should be really nervous because if I do bad... There, there are far more worse consequences for me than the yeah. other guests. Than the points. Yeah, the points are uh, the... The guests, yeah. But yeah, I feel pretty good. Okay. okay, okay. Question one. All right, Lindsay, when someone tells you to pack lightly for a trip, what's the first thought that comes into your mind? A, I'm really going to try not to overpack this time. B, time to stock up on Target travel size storage. Or C, I've got this. These extra change of clothes, first aid kits, allergy medicines, and snacks won't take up that much room. Okay, not B. Um, I think that early in our marriage, it would have been C. I think now it's A. All right, Lindsay, what was your answer? A. It was what a. up? Yay. <laughs> okay, you guys get a point. Why did you say that? Because uh, early in our marriage, you would have thought far more the contingency plans. I need lots of contingency plans. So like, um, you know, I don't know. We look like the Beverly Hillbillies on vacation. Like it was just like we had so much stuff. <laughs> but what if this? Vehicle. The kids could eat this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could but as we've this. gone on... And in particular, you know, we went through a few years where I was like, I don't want this much stuff on vacation. And Lindsay, you know, adjusted for me, which I really appreciated. It's harder to do that. Harder to pack lightly. Yeah. Not for me. (laughs) Says the man who forgets his toothbrush. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Question two. Your friends decide the last second to switch it up and try a new restaurant for dinner. One that you've never heard of and is in a town that you aren't sure about. You think... A, sure, I'll tag along, but I'll spend the first part of the trip Googling to see how far it is, latest Yelp reviews, menu selections, prices, and whether or not anyone has died eating their food. B, as long as it's not too far of a drive because I have to get up on time because otherwise I won't get enough sleep. And if I'm tired, I'll be less mentally prepared for my meeting tomorrow. It will cause more stress at work if I'm not on my game. Or C, if I say no to them, they may be upset with me and I wouldn't want to damage our friendship. But if I say yes and it's far away, I may miss out on our evening time with the kids. And then the babysitter will be upset because we're home late. And then I'll be upset for making them upset. And I probably won't even enjoy this restaurant anyway. Yeah, definitely C. Nope. What? (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't say anything. I'm going to go with B. That was right. That That's was the, right. That's right. Yeah. So you're not getting a point for no, that. No, come on. <laughs> nope. You each get a, you each have a point so far because she, she stumped you and then you S- got it sorta. right. So number three, I'm the tiebreaker question. Tonight. You just found out that your job now requires you to 
complete proper paperwork at the end of every day, follow a schedule and structure, operate in a perfect system where everyone has one role and responsibilities associated with their particular role. Which emoji best sums up your new feelings? The hair flip emoji, the check mark emoji, or the clapping hands emoji? Clapping hands. Yep. Yes. I feel like that one that one was harder because I don't know her most frequently used emojis to to fit in the answers. I don't so. know that she's ever even used clapping hands. I'm just telling you that that is that, was the, that is a genuine but expression. But you know what first. I did last night? What? I researched emojis to see, <laughs> to see which what one? the name was. That's were. what you were doing. I look over and I go, what is this woman doing? She's just looking at tons of emojis. I did okay. Well, I wanted to be to be prepared. the right. Yeah. Well, I was prepared too because I got it right. <laughs> you guys got a point. Okay. Question four. Your two wonderful children each make you a drawing. Then they ask you to tell them which one you like more. And they make you promise not to say you like them both equally. What anxious thought crosses your mind as you stare into their beautiful, eager eyes? A. Which child's life shall I ruin with my answer? B. Surely they will remember this moment in therapy one day. Or C. Can I use a lifeline? Can I phone a friend? B. Nope. Which one was it? A. It was A. Which child's life shall I ruin with my answer? Oh, uh, you know what I really thought it was going to be? I really thought the answer, before you read them, I was like, because here's, here's her honest answer. She will tell the kids, uh, she, will, she would figure out some way to lie to those children. <laughs> that is the honest truth. In a heartbeat, deceive those children in order to make sure that they both feel loved. In what way? You know, just somehow you figure out a way around it where you're like, hey, listen, I I told your brother that his was my favorite, but actually yours was. I just didn't want to hurt his feel. Like you would totally <laughs> wow. do what Lindsay, was necessary. Is that true? She's shaking her head no, now. No, I probably would just say I'm not going to answer that. Yeah. yeah. That's the other I would be in charge. Yeah. You don't have the authority over me, children. That's I'm right. the mom. Um, maybe I projected on her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Question five for all the marbles. You guys are tied up right now, two and two. Sixes are the most courageous of all the types. So, Lindsay, what anthem song do you listen to in order to hype up your bravery? A, Brave by Sarah Bareilles, B, You Can't Stop Me by Andy Minio, or C, Fight Song by Rachel Platten. Okay, it's not A, so it's going to be either B or C, and I'm going to guess because she, she might like Andy Minio a little bit, like if she's heard him, but it's not a regular go-to, I'm going to go with C, and I'm going to be so disappointed. It was B. <laughs> It, it was, was B. It was Andy Minio. When do you listen to Andy Minio? I know that song by heart. I when I run. Oh, well, that wow is disappointing. I've lost yet another game, <laughs> <laughs> and the stakes were much higher for but this I get one. Your line of thinking. I oh. tend to like traditional, well-known songs. Yes, yes. But but there for is this that game, me. for this game, that doesn't matter. Lindsay wins. I feel like Vacation Lindsay showed up without me knowing <laughs> and did something to mess. We this conspired up. against you. <laughs> Well, thank you for playing, Lindsay. Yeah. You're welcome. Thank Good you. job. Good job, babe. Okay, so we ask every guest uh, that comes on five final questions. So we're going to ask you those five questions now. All right, question one. What actress would play you in a movie? The actress or the character? Either one. Because I am a mix of... Hermione, mm-hmm. DJ Tanner from Full House, and Anne of Green Gables. Okay. That is a perfect description. That was remarkable. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two, if we had a phone that could call your 21-year-old self and you could talk to them for 15 seconds, what would you say to them? Run. 
run away fast. <laughs> Meaning I was making very bad decisions at that point in my life. I was making lots of decisions out of fear. Okay, question three. How can friends and loved ones affirm someone with your personality type? I think we touched on this a little bit earlier when just talking about not getting angry with them when they're afraid and reminding them, reminding me of when I've been brave mm -hmm. and the truth of God, really, mm -hmm. what he says about me. Mm -hmm. Okay, number four. How does the good news of God's presence heal your deadly sin of fear? Well, he is the ultimate control. And if I trust that he's good, then I don't have anything to be afraid of. I'm under his authority and he is secure. That doesn't mean my life will be free of suffering. I used to believe my life would be free of suffering if, you know, God was good. But that's not what he means when he says he's good. And in the end, everything will be okay. Question five. What scripture verse do you hold dear as it relates to your personality type? It's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. And that just speaks to me because it tells me I have a sound mind. It tells me mm -hmm. with God, you can trust, you know, yourself when you're walking in the spirit. That doesn't mean I can always trust myself when I'm not walking with him. But when I'm walking with him. You can trust that he's at work inside you. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he, if there is fear in me, it's not from him. Yeah. God has not given the spirit of fear. Right. So the fear is not... The it's Holy not from Spirit. him. Yeah. So yeah. therefore, I probably yes. need to take a step back and reevaluate. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Thank you to our special guest today, Lindsay Eubanks. Also, thank you to Crosspoint Ministry that trained, yet again, all three of us in this room on the Enneagram. To learn more about Crosspoint or to attend one of their amazing retreats, and I say that each time, but truly, their retreats are incredible, you should go do one. Uh, visit crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Serve for a summer or a year, grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself and Sam Stevenson. Engineering and editing by Janelle Dawkins with Justice Smith. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. <laughs> <laughs>